We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato and today a special guest Ryan Wilson from CBS Sports. You guys know him. He's been on the podcast the past couple years breaking down the draft before the draft and he just dropped a seven round mock draft and we're not going to make him go back over it now but all I'll say is this. That takes a hell of a lot of time. I did one once for CBS and I can't I'm gonna be honest I can't say I'm too disappointed that I've moved over from the NFL team to the fantasy team where I no longer have to put that mock together in the mock draft tool on the website within prison because that is quite the task but it's even bigger task to put together that actual mock narrowing it down to who you want to which teams what players make the list and who makes your seven round mock so Ryan just take us through real quick again I know we talked pre-pod but I think everybody would want to hear about this because it sounded pretty cool to me take us through what your process is for coming up with a seven round mock draft well thanks for having me guys this is one of my favorite podcasts to do this time of year um at this point in the process, it's it's like uh, Groundhog Day because you wake up and you do the same thing and you talk about the same things. I, I sort of joke that I could talk about these guys, these players in my sleep now because I've done it so much. Um, so this is an opportunity to do something a little different because we'll talk specifically about the Giants and then um, see where it goes. But in terms of seven-round mock draft, so this is ver- like literally version 31 or 32 for me because I start in the fall. We do one every single week, which sounds crazy because it is crazy, but – you know, the reason you do it is because people react to it. It also gives me an opportunity to, to make sure I'm up on top of these players as we go through the, the football season. But by this point in the process, I, I know who's who. And then you're sort of filtering through the, the smoke screening part of the, the process here with the final few weeks leading up to the drafts about who's moving up and who's moving down in the eyes of the media. And then you sort of check in with people that you know around the league and see how much of that is, is true and how much of that is just nonsense that we've sort of become accustomed to. So the first round is pretty easy. And and then things get interesting because typically you, you do a one round mock draft, maybe a two round mock draft. You get ambitious uh, the start of the new year, and but then you realize that all the guys you were trying to force into the first round. Well, Jacksonville picks at thirty three, Detroit picks at thirty four, the Jets pick at thirty five, your Giants pick at thirty six. So there are needs that can be filled there. You don't have to take every single player in the first round, and I think that's sometimes where the friction comes. When you're, you know, reading comments on social media or fans are getting angry about what they didn't see in round one, there's six more rounds to sort of sort this out. And by the way, it ain't even seven round draft with all the comp- compensatory picks. It ends up being about eight plus rounds. Yeah. And that, that's something you realize as you're going through the process of trying to do all 262 selections. And the reality is, and you guys know this, too. Every team has four five, six, seven needs. Once you fill those needs, you're not going to just start over you're going to take best player available so maybe the case that you have three wide receivers going in your draft class or four defensive ends or whatever and that's just a matter of best player available on day three that you think can either help your practice squad maybe has a long shot to make the team 
and, and think about a, a guy that drops that you had a higher grade on than other teams do and medical off field, whatever. And, and then you take a flyer on them there. And I think fans are getting savvier. You see less pushback about why is my team drafting four running backs? I don't think anyone taking four running backs, but <laughs> you sort of understand that, well, after pick 200, a lot of stuff can happen and you don't know how to predict the previous 199 picks. So you, you sort of go from there. But um, I was talking to, to you and Nick about it. I actually didn't hate doing this one. Sometimes it feels like a burden. It, it was pretty relatively stress-free. I did, I think I did it in two or three days. So, again, first round's a breeze. You sort of sort things out in the second and third round in terms of trying to address needs. And then the fourth round is sort of filling in the gaps, unless your team like the Panthers, for example, who pick six and then don't pick until 137. But for, for the teams that have all those draft picks, um, that's where it gets difficult. Like the Chiefs have 12 picks, which is insane. The Jaguars have 12 picks. The Packers, Texans have 11 picks. So opportunity for teams at different ends of the, the win-loss spectrum to to restock the roster. And, um, you know, I think I did okay. I told you guys I had an agent call me today. He wasn't happy with all my picks, but uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, I'll tell you what. I like your picks, especially for the Giants, which we're going to get into oh, good. in a moment. But before we do that, I do want to say this. Something I found really interesting about your seven-round mock is that 30, 37% of the entire players selected were receivers, corners, or pass rushers. And I think that's a great way to do this because, as we've seen, one of the biggest trends in the in the most recent years of the draft is a lot of corners and a lot of receivers because those are two of the most important positions in the NFL. You can never have enough of them. There's big injury concerns at both positions. Depth is important. But in this class specifically, 28 of those were pass rushers. I think that's what's unique about this draft class. This is a better edge class than I can remember in a long time. It doesn't mean I think the best edge is in this class is the best edge I've seen by any means in the last five years. And I'm not saying I don't, but it, that's just to say that. But there's more depth there and there's more talent that I think is available personally around you know that second round rage. So before we get into the Giants draft, Ryan, I do want to ask, in, in your opinion, after evaluating this entire class, where do you see the positions of strength and the positions of weakness? Well, quarterback's an easy position of weakness. I mean, that's that's a layup. I don't think anyone would argue with that. Edge rusher is deep. Cornerback has some depth. Safety has some depth. Um, you mentioned wide receiver. It, it's deep-ish. It falls off pretty quickly. Um, I feel like around the middle of the third round, maybe early third round, we'll see guys middle of day two, late day two there, and then in, 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 in on day three, you, you can probably find a handful of guys that can help, but it won't be like guy after guy coming in immediately. Um, offensive line in total is relatively deep. If you put the uh, interior and outside guys together, um, guard class is, isn't necessarily that, that deep. If you're looking individually, center class rarely is deep. Um, the off ball linebacker guy, there are a ton of guys. They're just so athletic that can help your football team. So not deep at the sexy position, the quarterback um, running back isn't necessarily deep, but I don't think we think about those classes, uh, those groups as being first round picks at this point anyway, but certainly guys that can help you in different ways, whether um, it's a primarily a runner in college, like Ken Walker, the third or guys who have a little more versatility, like, like Brees Hall, depending on what you like. Um, so all told tight end is not deep either. Uh, all told though, that there, there are a lot of good football players that feel like they can help, you know, 32 teams, immediately it's just a matter of i've been saying this for months not overdrafting positions because they're a position of need for you but getting guys that can help your football team and usually i'm talking about quarterbacks there but we could see offensive linemen go a little earlier probably than maybe they should uh in the middle or late late round one um and maybe even a couple receivers sneak in like i've heard daniel jeremiah say he thinks seven wide receivers are gonna go in the first round that seems like a tall number to me we'll see how it plays out i think the over under is five and a half and i i sort of like the the under, I think Jahan Dotson, you could talk me into Jahan Dotson putting being number six, but I don't know who number seven is. But um, hey, we'll all find out together in, in a week's time. Which is pretty great. And Ryan, I want to ask you, to be honest, since we've heard a lot of smoke screens coming over the last couple weeks, specifically with the Jags number one overall pick and how that could possibly be Trayvon Walker, the I don't want to say tweener, but the edge defensive lineman out of Georgia going over Aiden Hutchinson. Do you think there's any merit to that, or is that just pure pre-draft smoke? No, I think there's merit to it, but it is interesting because um, Lance Zerline's talked about this um, at NFL NFL Media. He tweeted this out um, last week, I think. He he heard that Trent Baalke, who drafted Alden Smith, likes that about 
uh, Trevon Walker, sort of the, 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 the traits and the upside conversation. But then Lance heard two other guys say virtually the same thing, and he wonders if he was having his leg pull to, to talk about the smoke screens. And, and you don't know. Like, I, I've talked to teams about Trevon Walker, and I, I've had some teams tell me they, they love him. And I've had other teams say they're, they're, they liked his tape better last year coming into this season. And, and they, they, don't, they wouldn't take him top five, but they think he's going to go that high. So here's where I'm at on Trevon Walker. He's a fantastic athlete. You talked about the 6'4", 275, ran the 451, all that stuff. And he flashes on tape, but the production isn't there. And I understand, again, we're talking about projections and, and traits. I, I get all that. But I'd be hard-pressed to take him over Aiden Hutchinson first overall. If you're talking about 10th, okay, I get it. 15th, fine, sure, go ahead. But first, and you whip on that and you and Aiden Hutchinson plays that we probably think he's going to play, I, I think that's a hard sell. Also, here's the other thing they're coming back to. That same draft where Alden Smith went ahead, that um, Trent Balky took Alden Smith. He took Alden Smith over Cam Jordan and, and J.J. Watt. So Alden Smith was a great player on the field. He had the off-field issues. Would he have been better than J.J. Watt or, or Cam Jordan? I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a hard one to, to sort of measure up against. Maybe if he were able to stay, you know, if he weren't in trouble off the field or whatever, maybe. But I, I think that's a huge ask. So I think I feel the same way uh, about just projecting Trevon Walker that high. And the other thing I'll say about the Jaguars, number one, look, man, you can keep drafting edge rushers and keep winning two football games. I get it. Like, I, <laughs> I like Caleb on chase on. I like Josh Allen. They're not helping your offense. I would take Iki Kwanu. That's who I like the best or Evan Neal or whoever you like. You That guy's going to start immediately and he's going to help your offensive line and help Trevor Lawrence by extension. I'm sure Doug Peterson understands that too. So maybe the bigger smokescreen is that not Javon Walker versus Aiden Hutchinson. Maybe they're in the, in the running for, and this is just me sort of speculating, in the running for an offensive tackle. Fills them. Here's the other thing. So they have the first pick in the 33rd pick. Are you getting better value offensive tackle at one and edge rusher at 33 or vice versa? It's offensive tackle at one and then edge rusher at 33. You're not going to get an offensive tackle at 33 that you feel great about sticking right. out that way. So that's also why I've been consistently having, uh, trying to will it into existence. Iki Kwanu going, going number one. I don't have any information that he's going to go number one. That's just me sort of projecting what I think makes the most sense for that team. Yeah, and it's interesting with the Walker debate because I feel like, uh, trust me, I'm a big believer in bet on trades. I get it. I understand it. But I'm not so sure that you can't find the bet on trades plus production guys when you're drafting within the top five or top ten because you can. I mean, look at Sauce Garner. He ran a 4-4-1, 98th percentile across the board with length, six foot three. He's got tape and trades. There's plenty of examples of players who've been drafted in the top five or top ten with traits and tape. And if you're just the traits guy, this is all another reason why I don't really like Trevor Penning. I, I can see the upside for Trevor Penning. I get it. Look. He has everything you want from a trade standpoint to be a dominant left tackle. I've seen some people comp him to Taylor Luan for the nastiness and kind of for the length. I get that comp and I could see that as a ceiling, but the tape isn't there yet. And so it's like those types of players I think you want to take a bet on later in the draft. But I do I do find that interesting. I wanted to know before we dive into your Giants mock or your mock draft for the Giants picks, are you hearing any buzz on the Giants specifically? Um only in the sense as you talk about all those teams in the first round that could potentially that have two picks. So we're talking about um, Houston three and thirteen, the Jets four and ten, and then the Giants five and seven, and then of course later down are the the, the Packers and the Chiefs. But those teams in the top um, top ten there, top thirteen with the Houston picks, what might end up happening and how is it, how is it going to look? Because I, I think there's a chance that that Derek Stingley maybe goes higher than we think. And by that, I mean, I've typically had him going around 11 and 12 because you talk about Sauce Gardner, who is cornerback one for me, has been for some time. But the funny thing about Derek Stingley is, and we're, I think we're all guilty of this. I know I certainly am. Like out of sight, out of mind, you sort of push him down. And I feel like Derek Stingley's pre draft arc mirrors that of Jamar Chase's. Jamar Chase didn't play in 2020, he opted out. Derek Stingley had the list Franks only played three games in 2021. And then he returns and absolutely blows up his pro day, much like Jamar Chase did. And we're like, oh, yeah, that guy's still really good. And he fills a huge need. And I wonder if he could be in the conversation maybe for the Jets or maybe for the Giants with one of those two first-round picks, especially if someone like Sauce goes three to Houston. Because if Sauce goes three to Houston, I wonder if the Jets will get a little antsy or perhaps the Giants if they're interested um, in a cornerback that they think 
like they think if they had those guys rated higher than than Trent McDuffie and and Andrew Booth and, and whoever follows after that Kyrie Elam. So um, that's it in terms of of sort of team specific inside the top thirteen ish, uh, just sort of where these cornerbacks may fall based on how we've sort of viewed Derek Stingley over the last three or four months, even though he may end up being what we thought he was going to be back in 2019. Ryan, I want to ask you real quick about those two prospects. I know you watch a ton of film. Would you say if you had to isolate one year of play from one or each of those players that Derek Stingley's 2019 film is the best, better than anything sauce has put on tape? That's what I saw just going through in terms of discipline at the line of scrimmage, ball skills, man coverage ability, all of that. I feel like, if Derek Stingley's 2019 tape was in 2021, the conversation would be totally different right now. Oh, 100%. That, that's exactly right. And, and I think that's the, the hesitation. I was talking to Scott about this at the Senior Bowl, and I said, I, I, you know, I, I, said I think I like Sauce Gardner better than, than Stingley. He goes, I, I get it, and he's also on the field. And, and at the end of the day, that's what matters. If Stingley had gotten hurt in 2019 and was playing like this in 2020, no one cares about 2019 because he's healthy. Um, Here's the thing about Stingley, though. So he hurt his foot in August. He aggravated it, and then he, he it became an issue where he had to sit out after three games. And when you have a list rank, you're in a boot for five months, like it's immobile for five months. He had three and a half weeks between the time he was clear to the time he had his pro day and ran in the four threes or four fours or whatever and jumped 30, whatever he jumped. So that alone is absolutely insane. And, and I do think – I. I I've had, I had a couple of people tell me this in senior bowl. If the draft was in January, we wouldn't have time to overthink all this stuff. Um, and I think that's absolutely true. There's no, I think it's hard to argue otherwise, but it's also part of the process that makes it fun on some level and frustrating on others. But in terms of sauce Gardner in 2020, I watched him and I liked him. I didn't love him. And I thought he needs to be more physical. Um, he needs more physical coming downhill. He needs to get a little stronger. I thought he did that. I thought he, that he rarely do you see a guy, check the boxes you wanted to check over the course of the offseason. I thought he did that and then some. And um, I, I love the way he plays. Like, him at his best and Derek Stingley at, at his best. Is it close? Maybe, but I would probably take Stingley over Sauce. But I feel great about both those guys. Like, I'm trying to think about it. Like, they're in the same conversation for me is, is Sertan and, and J.C. Horn last year. In 2019, Derek Stingley is probably ahead. Um, I just don't know which Derek Stingley we're going to get. Now, a year ago, we said, well, we don't know which Jamar Chase is going to show up. Well, the, the right one showed up. <laughs> um, he was really, really good. So going back to the overthinking, the same thing, that's probably what we're doing. But if both those guys, Sauce and Stingley, go the first seven or eight picks, I could see that. I mean, it would make a ton of sense for me. It would make much more sense for me than Atlanta, for example, at eight taking a quarterback, or Seattle at nine taking a quarterback instead of a cornerback, which I think would help them much more so. Um given the, the quarterback class that, you know, as we've said, it, it probably isn't going to be that great. Yeah, I jumped hard on the under for Derek Stingley after his pro day. I think it was 11 and a half. I got it at some people got it at under 12 and a half. That was great. I, this is just like, I've been making profits on these corner unders for a while now. Uh, I went Well, let me ask a- you guys, are you, would you be okay with Stingley and or sauce at five or seven? Or is that too soon? Yes, absolutely for Sauce, and I can think I can speak for Dan because we've had this conversation as well. In terms of Stingley, I think it gets interesting because you have the foot injury and you have all of that medical stuff, which I can't really necessarily weigh in on. I'm not a doctor or anything like that. But I know Joe Shane and John Schmelk said this on our podcast last week. Joe Shane says one of the pillars that he's looking for in a player is dependability. And that's something that I feel like can't be checked off with Derek Stingley because 2020 wasn't that great, and then he was basically mm-hmm. injured all of 2021. So – I think the fan base will be upset if it's Derek Stingley Jr. I'll understand it. I would just hope that they have done their due diligence on him and, and all of that checks out. But in terms of his play, like I love Derek Stingley's play. And I haven't given my final grade on sauce. I still have like one more game I'm going to watch. But it's going to be much closer than people think. And I can even see me putting Stingley over just based off that 2019 film and the traits that he does possess. Absolutely. And the other thing is, like I love Jeffrey Kuda coming to Ohio State. It just hasn't worked out. He's been injured. And I don't know if it's going to rectify itself. I thought he, I thought he was going to be better than Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward just got paid Me too, yeah. And it just has, it's just one of those things you, you don't know. That's why it's a crapshoot. Yep. 
All right, let's dive into your seven-round mock draft, specifically the Giants picks. Take us through your first-round picks for the Giants. Who else you considered at both picks and why you ultimately decided on those players? All right, let's see what we got here. There we go. So Evan Neal at five. Like, Evan Neal at five feels like a he's falling. But here's the thing. I had Icky going one, which I talked about. Aiden going two to Detroit, which makes sense. Trevon going three to Houston, which edge rusher, Lovey Smith. Upside traits guy. I think he's going to go high. Then I had Thibodeau going four to the Jets. Uh, would Giants fans be okay with Thibodeau? Yes, I think Giant fans would be okay with Thibodeau. I, we would be on this podcast okay with <laughs> Yeah, I think ideally, and just the way the draft is set up right now with those two cornerbacks, specifically probably more Sauce Gardner and Wink Martindale being the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants, a lot of Giants fans want that cornerback to really ensure that Wink can employ his philosophy to to a high standard so I think a lot of people are leaning that way especially because at 36 there could be like Arnold Ebiketti or Boye Mafe or some of those types of edge rushers around but like you said before Ryan anything can happen yeah so Evan Neal at five um I'm still on board with giving Daniel Jones a chance protecting him and let's see what he can do and here's a theory I've been running with for months now I'm interested what you guys think about this so the whole Kenny Pickett to six thing to the Panthers. I don't think it happens. I think they would probably take an offensive lineman because it, it would just be idiotic to take a quarterback and put him behind that offensive line. Just put Sam Darnold out there. Sam Darnold's a better athlete than Kenny Pickett anyway. But in a lot of ways, taking Kenny Pickett at six reminds me of Dave Gettleman taking Daniel Jones at six. If Daniel Jones had gone in the second round, there would not be the expectations on Daniel Jones as a six overall pick. Unfair to him, by the way. Like, I like Daniel Jones. I, I don't think he should have gone that high. And then had the you know the personal decisions made that put him in the situation that he often found himself, he felt more like a, a late day one, maybe early day two guy. And I think that's where I am on Kenny Pickett. And, and I mentioned that I'll have to say that I don't think the Panthers could take Kenny Pickett at six. And more importantly, I think it's important to fix the offensive line, which I, I hope the Panthers do. And that's why I had the Giants taking an offensive lineman there as opposed to as opposed to to edge rusher or a cornerback at five. I think that's the most important thing is fixing um, giving Daniel Jones the opportunity to have some success. Yeah, it's interesting because I think you're on to something there with the similarities and the comparison. And I think in general, if you're making the decision in any draft class to take a guy who, quote unquote, is a late, let's just say a late one, early two type grade, like Pickett would be for, for I haven't evaluated Pickett, but how, how it seems like you're saying you have your grade on Pickett. Is there upside to that? Is there any point to drafting these types of quarterback prospects? Because to me, it seems like the only outliers who have hit after round one, after the obvious top five type evaluation prospects are the ones who have a knock that's not necessarily the knocks that we have on Jones and Pickett. It's either they're too short, Drew Brees, they're too short, Russell Wilson. It's, you know, and Tom Brady, he, who knows what the knock was at that point. I wasn't doing the draft at that point. But <laughs> these outliers don't seem to be the guys like Jones and like Pickett who seem like they're adequate from an arm talent standpoint, seem like they do things pretty well. But, you know, there's no real reason to, that that really makes them jump out into the top five discussion. So I just don't. I, my question would be, like, if you're if you're making if you're running an NFL franchise, what is the point of of over prioritizing these types of prospects? Absolutely. And history tells us that if you draft a quarterback after the first round, you're basically just throwing that pick away. I mean, Derek Carr, second round pick, he's the exception. Right. Russ Wilson, you mentioned the exception. Kirk Cousins, he's he's good, not great. Fourth round pick. I get it. If you get like listen, if Kenny Pickett turns out to be Andy Dalton, that's a win. But not a win if you take him at six. It's a win yes. if you take him at thirty two or, or wherever, um, later in the first round. And that's the only point I'm making. And again, I like Daniel Jones. I liked him coming out of Duke. I just don't think he he he's had the it's like Mac Jones. You put Mac Jones on the on the Jets, he looks like Zach Wilson. You put Zach Wilson on the Patriots, he probably has a better season than he did last year. So I think right. that's part of the thing. And that's part of the thinking with with Evan Neal there at five. And then two picks later, um, Sauce Gardner goes at seven to the Giants. So hopefully fulfilling all the all the hopes and wants that you guys talked about with with Wink Martindale being there. Um, and then at thirty six, I had him taking Jalen Petrie out of Baylor. Pete Prisco, who I work with, and, and who you know, Dan, loves Petra. He calls him Honey Badger 2.0. He he likes him as a first-round pick. And I think there's some first-round buzz about him, even in, in league circles, not just among the media. So I, I watched him in the fall and loved him, and nothing has has changed me off of that. I like Dax Hill a little better out of Michigan. Um, obviously, Kyle, Kyle Hamilton is the, the best of the bunch, even though he's taken a slide as of late. Um, mostly media-driven, I think, but 
whatever, good football player. Um, and then I'll, I'll mention the, the two other day three day two picks, and then we can we can we can reconvene here. Kingsley Ignacbare, the the edge rusher out of South Carolina, he's powerful, um, strong off the edge, gives you something there. And then Jeremy Rockert, who had zero opportunities to catch the ball at Ohio State because he went to college with with guys named Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jameson Williams and uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. But he he's a really good athlete, and I think he's one of these guys that you you draft with the understanding he's going to be a much better pro than he was um, receiver in college because he wasn't asked to do that, and he can already – he's a great blocker. I, I think he 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 gives you sort of the the whole package. And the Evan Ingram stuff, the shiny object stuff is fun when it works. It didn't work. So I, I think maybe a more traditional tight end uh, that can do a little more might might be might better serve what Dable and – and, and they want what they and the Giants want to do offensively. I love that to be honest. We're big Jeremy Rucker fans on this oh, podcast, good. but I want to talk about Enig Barre real quick. I feel like he's more of a because I haven't watched this film extensively, I haven't done an evaluation. I've seen him in passing and just watching football on Saturday. He's more of a power rusher. And from what I've seen, he has very, very precise hand usage, right? But he's not overly explosive, bendy, or sudden. Is that fair? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, no, that's right. I'm actually checking my notes here um, and double-checking. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, I think he's, he's an interesting one because he was very productive at South Carolina, correct? Incredibly productive. So I'm looking at my notes here. He can disappear for stretches. He'll need to get stronger to combat bigger offensive linemen. Um, sometimes the lack of strength shows up. Can sometimes struggle to disengage. Um, overrun plays occasionally trying to make the big play. And those are just negatives. I mean, the high, he's a high-end athlete, high-motor guy. Makes tackles downfield, stress slower offensive tackles that rely on physicality to, for, um, to their athletic limits. Strong hands, nonstop motor, quick first step, causes problems, can be incredibly disruptive. So, yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. It's funny, when you watch 3,000 guys, you have to go back and double-check the notes because you can't I, I completely understand. And for <laughs> Petrie, I know Dan and I would both be happy for Petrie. We've been singing his praises, and he's somebody I feel like that you can align, and, and Wink Martindale can do so many different things with someone of that skill set, somebody who might be a little bit undersized, but it's not going to be a liability in run support at all, and I think him at 36 would make sense, and I don't know about you, Dan, but I would love to see that combination of Jalen Petrie and Xavier McKinney rotating on the back end of Wink Martindale's system. Yeah, it gives me, I get really excited thinking about those two. I mean, Ryan, you mentioned you have Daxon Hill a little bit higher. So do I, but I actually have both Hill and Petrie as top 25 players overall in this class. I think I love it. You won't get any pushback from me on that. Both no, should be first round picks. I have no clue why Daxon Hill wouldn't be a first round pick because he also has the athleticism and the testing. Petrie, I can understand why some might say more, a little more limited to a certain system and a certain scheme and a certain role. But when you watch Petrie and you watch that Baylor defense, and I love to watch, I love to watch these. And it's going to be fun for Giants fans. I keep saying this. They're going to have fun watching Wink Martindale's defense. If you watch a Dave Aranda defense and he's the coach at Baylor, 
If you watch a Jim Leonard defense, if you watch a Wink Martindale defense, it's attack, 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 relentless, 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 dictate, the dictate, make sure the quarterback on the other side is not comfortable at any point. And Petrie was the alpha in that defense. He took over a lot, a lot of games that I watched just full Baylor defense. I'm like, this kid is the alpha on this defense. This is the reason why this defense is having such a good game. When I see that happening, I get excited. I also think he's super physical and tough. I think yep. he has a, a big toughness and grittiness to his game, which I think translates well to the next level. And some people think isn't the case for a lot of big 12 defenders. They kind of label them as not having that, but he has that for sure. They had a ton of guys that defensively drafted. They have Terrell Bernard, the, yep. the linebacker, uh, JT Woods, the safety who plays deep. And when I say Petre and Dax Hill are safeties, they play mostly in the slot. Um, they can play in the box. They can play outside if you need them to. They can play deep. I think to your point, Dan, the Dax is a little uh, a little more fluid in his movements and a little more versatile. But Petrie can do a whole lot, and is incredibly fun to watch. So I mentioned Ignac Barre, and you, you asked about him, Nick. So the guys that were still on the board that the Giants could have taken, and I don't know if you guys would prefer for one of these guys, MyJ Sanders, the edge rusher out of Cincinnati, Nick Benito out of Oklahoma, a little undersized, but he's a firecracker. Drake Jackson. Out of USC, I had him going in round three. I was talking to a scout about him last week, and he said, you know what? He may end up going in round two. I didn't love his tape, but he may go around two because he fits the the prototype of what NFL teams are looking for for these big-ass rushers. He said he can get up to 275 if he wants to. He can play at 260, and he, he has the potential to be really good. Didn't show it all the time, and I've had him as like a third, fourth-round guy, but he said don't be surprised if he ends up going a little bit higher than that. So that's another guy uh, to keep an eye on, and – the last one. Oh, I'll mention two more. Sam Sam Williams I had going in round three, who I absolutely love it at Ole Miss. Undersized a little bit. Came to the Senior Bowl late, blew it up. And then Josh Pascal, the edge rusher out of Kentucky. He's two sixty five ish, and he's he does not look like your prototypical edge rusher. He's a little different, but he is so fun to watch because he does it differently. He wins with his hands. He has a really quick first step and creates a lot of problems, um, both around the edge, but also in the B gap, giving giving slower offensive tackles troubles. But those are other guys that could potentially be. Um, edge rush targets, I guess, uh, round two, round three for the Giants. For me, what comes to mind is I probably prioritize there for sure. I, I don't want to say for sure Nick Benito because I actually – I think Benito is an interesting pick. If you're taking Benito, you're limiting your – I don't think he'll ever be a three-down player at the NFL level personally, but I also think at the same time he could be one of the best actual pure passing downs, third down pass rusher in this class, given his edge bend and his burst and initial step off line of scrimmage. So how do you value that, right? He's on the field for the money downs, but he can't really be on the field for all downs. So I'm not so sure. I'm kind of okay taking, uh, like you said, going with Enigmari over him, but I definitely would go with um, – Oh, I'm blanking on his name right Drake now. Jackson. Drake Jackson over him. Yeah. I do like Drake Jackson for a lot of reasons you said, Ryan, but also I do think he has burst and edge And I want to finally say this. There's one other guy on your board who you didn't mention who went, uh, I think 10, 15 picks later, who I would oh, have to run. I would have to run to the podium for instead at 67 overall. And it's a little Homer based, but I don't want to say it's fully Homer based because I think he's just the pinpoint cookie cutter oh it's, it's leo isn't it yeah it is he's <laughs> the perfect fit for that wink martindale defense and i would take leo chanel if he's on the board there at 67 you know it's funny i had him ranked a little higher throughout the process the only issue i have with leo is his ability to, to drop into coverage he's a little yeah. stiff but man he he looks to hit something and he hits it hard he ran really well at the combine um I, I like him yeah you won't get any pushback from me on that if they took him there in the third round or um is that the third round pick yeah the, the 67 absolutely he, i love it I would love to be with Dan if Leo Chanel was on the board at 67 and the Giants didn't go in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they take another uh they take another uh a Big 10. They take some Michigan kid, Rashid Walker, Rashid Walker from Penn State maybe. I, like I will Rashid say Walker. I will say this though, if the Giants do go linebacker at 67, there are a lot of names that really really interest me. Chad Muma from Wyoming. Yeah. I think Quay Walker will be well off the board by that point, but if for whatever reason he would fall. And then there's also the other Georgia linebacker, Channing Tindall, who's a little bit more undersized, but I think him in the Wink Martindale system, you put him as a Sam, he can defend the run, he can drop in the coverage, his backside pursuit is elite, and you want to blitz them. That's what he did in Georgia. I think he would be an excellent type of pick probably around that area of the draft. That's going to be the interesting thing to see how these these um, linebackers sort themselves out. I love Nicobe Dean for a lot of reasons. Prisco, my coworker, he likes um, Channing Tindall better. 
Like he would take Channing Tindall over over uh, Nicobe Dean. I wouldn't do that. Like Nicobe Dean's six feet two twenty nine. It's not like he weighs two hundred four pounds. Um, incredibly smart. He didn't run, so we don't know how fast he is. He plays plenty fast for me, but he's not as fast as Quay Walker and Channing Tindall. He's not as athletic. I will say this: we were talking to to um, Nicobe just about the draft process, and he was a mechanical engineer, had a three five at Georgia, so he's he's not a dummy either. And I said of all the athletes on that defense, and every single one, whether it's Jordan Davis, Javon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, they were linebackers, Lewis Seen, Darren Kendrick. It's insane. <laughs> it's insane. If you're playing two-on-two basketball, who are you picking first? And so I'll tell you this much. I'm not picking Channing Tindall. He's a terrible basketball player. Like, he's a fantastic <laughs> athlete. He sucks at basketball. <laughs> so he took Javon Walker, which I thought, I get it. I'm taking Jordan Davis personally because Jordan Davis <laughs> is getting all the rebounds. And I'm just shooting, chucking up threes. But um, Channing Tindall <laughs> might be the last guy picked on that team, which I thought was interesting. But the other linebacker, like Chad Muma, I love. I absolutely love him. We talked to him. He was a great guy, um, well-grounded. And he reminds me of the linebacker version of Trey McBride, the, the, the tight end out of Colorado State. Ooh. And Chad actually, I think, let me get this right. I think Chad is from Colorado but ended up in Wyoming. And, and Trey was sort of bummed that he didn't end up playing in, in, in Colorado State. But they feel like, a, a, what's let's see, two sides of the same coin. Um, another guy to keep an eye on. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch him, and I had him going two picks later to the Jets. Is Troy Anderson out of Montana? Yes. So big fan, huge <laughs> fan. He rushed for. I was just writing this up today. He rushed for fourteen hundred yards in twenty nineteen. Had twenty one rushing touchdowns. Um, he threw like one hundred eighteen pass attempts, and then he moved to linebacker and just started destroying people. He went to the senior bowl, had a great senior bowl, didn't look out of place at all. A lot of times those small school guys can look sort of, um, you know, wide-eyed and like they don't fit. That wasn't the case with him. He, he's a really good football player, and I think he's only going to get a lot better. Usually you say, oh, this guy will get better. He's going to get a lot better. He hasn't been playing that long, the position. So that's another guy to keep an eye on that maybe a lot of fans may not know who aren't following the process closely and be like, who the hell is this guy from Montana State? And the dude could end up being a really good football player. So Channing Tindall had him going a little way. Brian Asimov out of Oklahoma. Um, he plays like a four-two guy. He ran four five nine or something. I think he plays so fast. He's a little undersized, so you have to work around that. Uh Dan's guy, Leo Chanel, who I like a lot. Um, I'm trying to see who else here. Aaron Hansford out of Texas AM, another defense that had like eight guys that are gonna get drafted. And I mentioned at the top, this class is so deep at off ball linebacker, and given the way the position is going, you can find guys even on, on on uh, on day three, I had Malcolm Rodriguez out of Oklahoma State going right. at the top of round four to to Jack. Yeah, he he's another really good, fast, strong player um, in the middle of the defense there that that I liked a lot. Yeah, Malcolm Rodriguez is interesting because he's like five eleven. He's going to be like that Grant Stewart from a couple of years ago when he was selected. I think he was Mister Irrelevant by the Tampa Bay Bucks last yeah. year. Maybe he's going to be like an elite special teams type of guy who can eventually work his way onto the field. He's a kid from Oklahoma State. Have you also have you have you seen Demarco Jackson from App State? Yeah, I had him going one eighty two to to your New York Giants. There you oh, go. I, didn't even, I didn't even know that. I was going to say, if a team is interested in a N'Kobe Dean or one of those penetrating type of linebackers and they miss out on them, I feel like he is an excellent day three option. So look at that. Absolutely. Um, let's see what I wrote here. I wrote, Akeem Davis Gaither was a 2022 fourth rounder out of Cincinnati. I think I liked, he's not as good as, he's not as good as Akeem Davis Gaither to me, but he's close. And Gay, Davis Gaither was a fantastic athlete. I thought it was a great pick by the Bengals to, to get him. Um, I'm trying to look at my notes here. Yeah, he's wrap-up tackler. He knows where the QB is going with the ball. They need to get stronger. I thought he, he played sometimes it wasn't as strong as he needed to be. Um, good tackler, not a thumper, though. Um, but I, I liked his game. He was – I'm pretty sure he was at the, at the Senior Bowl, too, and, and had a good week. I want to see what he ran. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I liked him. And I think you're exactly right in terms of thinking about him as uh, – I don't want to say a poor man's Nicobe Dean, but but an option if Nicobe Dean is gone and you need an off-ball linebacker, he could be your guy. Yeah, let's get into a few of your other picks from day three for the Giants because day three is an interesting area where you can finally tend to get a lot of sleepers and you could also fill out needs. I feel like just looking at your day three picks – as a whole on a scope, not only they fit a lot of the needs the Giants have, they also fit a lot of what the Giants have shown interest in. The Giants have put a lot of resources, this pre-draft process, into the running back position. That's where you start on day three. Yeah, Tyler Algier. By the way, DeMarco Jackson ran a four five five at the combine. So that'll, after him. that'll yeah, absolutely. Uh three cone was seven one nine at his pro day. Um, yeah, so Tyler Algier at a, at a BYU, and I was watching 
rewatch went back and watched some more of his stuff against USC just yesterday because we're going to do something on HQ about uh, some of the guys that uh, I'm excited about or whatever. I, Tyler Algier was one of the guys. Um, his lateral ability really jumped out at you. His ability to stick his foot in the ground and go. Uh, his ability to run through arm tackles all day long. Um, make guys miss in small areas. All the things that you want out of a, a running back that maybe 20 years ago would cost you a second-round pick. You're now getting in in round four. And let me check. I think he he's pretty high up among all my running backs. Let me sort of have him ranked. And while um, you do that, Ryan, I'll just say, Dan and I, we did a running back episode, uh, I think it would drop yesterday, and we actually haven't seen Tyler Algier. So anything that you say on him is new oh. to the Watch the USC game. If you have the opportunity, go watch the USC game. That is a great place to start. Um, I'm trying to think. Let me see. There's there's also a fun little fact. Let me see if I can find it. Um, but, yeah, he, he was a huge part of that offense. And it's one of those things where he ran 4-6 at 224. I love it. I have no issue with that. Um, he moves really – like his lateral mobility is something that sticks out to me, even for someone at, at five five ten and a half there, 224. Uh, moves really well, and, and I think he's a guy that can be sort of a workhorse. And, you know, we can argue whether Saquon Barkley should have gone that high. I think we all agree he probably shouldn't have, not Saquon Barkley's fault. Uh, but this is a guy who sort of made it. I think he had to walk on at BYU and then made the most of his opportunities. He played off-ball linebacker early on in his career because they just wanted to get him on the field. And then once they got him in, into the running back position, he he did what, you know, he did what he what he did. So, I would be interested to hear what you guys think about him um, when you watch him play. So I'm looking at his stats here. 2020, he averaged 7.5 yards a carry, averaged 5.8 last year. But the USC game is the one that sticks out to me. That's the one I just watched the most recently, and it gives you a glimpse of the type of versatility he he, he provides. Um, and he also had something in the, in the pass game. He caught 28 passes last year, which is something that you don't know whether these guys can can catch or not because sometimes the offenses are in the college don't, don't afford them an opportunity. He has the ability to to catch the football too. And just because we're talking about running backs, can we just get who your number one running back is just because we dropped that episode? Maybe it's a different one from who Dan and I consensus on. Yeah, so I just took Tyler was my number seven running back. I had him as a top of the fourth round. That was the grade I had on him. And then number one for me is Ken Walker. And yeah, so I like Ken Walker. I like Brees Hall. They're actually pretty close to me. They're not far. I think they're literally tenths of a second apart. Um, the funny thing is we were at the Combine and we talked to all these players and uh, they're all for without without a fault. All, all really great guys, which is fun to see for for young people. That's something an old person says. But we had <laughs> Brees Hall on there, and Jamie Eisenberg, who who's the head fantasy one of our head fantasy guys, was on the set with me, and um, he told Brees Hall, he said, "So Ryan there has you as number two running back." And there's actually the videos on on YouTube on the CBS Sports HQ thing. He was not happy. And it, it it was like, I thought he was going to punch an old guy in the face. And he actually, <laughs> I was like, yo, man, I don't know to tell you. I mean, I like, I like Ken slightly better than you. I think you're great. And he said, um, I'm, he, this is what he, literally what he said. He said, I'm top two, but I'm not two. I was like, all right, I, best of luck to you. I think I said like, good luck. I, I mean, I don't know. I said, yeah, but uh, it was awkward. And um, I appreciate it. Like, I, I don't hold it against him. I, I appreciate him being confident in himself, and I think he's actually a great player. But I had him too. Like, I had them both as, like, um, early second-round grades on Ken Walker and Brees Hall. Ken Wa- Brees caught a lot more passes. There's no disputing that. And Ken Walker's one-year productivity, but he's like, I had to leave Wake Forest because I wanted to play in a more conventional pro-style offense. And and the, the results luckily <laughs> worked in my favor at Michigan State, where he absolutely destroyed it. Isaiah Spiller I have a little bit later, late, late day two, uh, late round two guy. I like Isaiah Spiller a lot. And then Damian Pierce out of Florida, who no one's really talking a lot about, but he's a good football player. Kyron Williams ran the glacial times at the at the combine, but I, I love Kyron Williams. And the funny thing is we talked to him, and I asked him about how good he I said, you're the best pass blocking running back in this draft class. And he almost took that personally. He was a really good, good person, don't get me wrong, but he took it personally because he didn't want to be seen as just a third down back. I was like, yo, I don't see you as a third down back. I see you as a three down back because of your ability to pass block and ability to to make people miss in space and your ability to catch the football. But I think he had probably heard that so much at that point that he wanted to dispel any any miss there. And then the guy at six I have is like crazy, but I, I love this guy. I think I haven't heard anyone talk about him anywhere except for um, Emery Hunt, my, my coworker at CBS, who has a lot of crazy takes, and this is the one that we agree on. But Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Corbin out of Florida State. Um, he might end up going undrafted. I like him as a, as a third round pick. Um, 
I think he's he's a really good football player. Go watch the Notre Dame game, which I think was their first game of the year. You can watch the Syracuse game where he does a lot of really good things. He has the ability to catch the ball in the backfield. He's run away from guys. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, I like him. And I think with running backs, if you take a guy on day three, you really – and you like him, why not? Uh, it's so hard to predict how these guys are going to turn out. And it's a day three pick anyway where these guys end up going. So um, I'm not as high as – Others are on James Cook. I like him. I don't love him. Um, he helped himself with the combine. I have him as a fifth-round pick, but he may end up going in round three. That's fine. Um, and Brian Robinson's a guy who I have as a fifth-round pick, too. I know some teams like because of his, his leadership stuff, which is great, his blocking ability, which is great as well. I, I just didn't think he was that dynamic. I have a question for you on another running back who hasn't gotten a lot of buzz at all, but is my personal favorite sleeper in this class. I think he's going to be the best value at the position in this class. And he's also a player who I think can be this year's Elijah Mitchell in the sense that, or Khalil Herbert, in the sense that you could get him at pick 194, that's where Mitchell went, or 217, that's where Herbert went. Like, you literally don't have to use your draft capital. You can use your sixth round pick. And he has a lot of upside. And he's someone who I think you probably know because of what I see in the background in your studio right there. And that's Ty Chandler, the running back out of North Carolina. When I watched Chandler play, I was stunned because he got no buzz whatsoever. And then I watched Mm -hmm. the tape and I was like, this dude has legit game speed. It's not just the 438 that he put at the combine. This is real game speed. He has patience with his feet. He makes really good vision cuts and he can make he can make plays as a receiver as well. So I'm curious to get your take on Chandler as a sleeper. Well, I'm a Steelers homer and I had the Steelers draft him. So that should give you some indication <laughs> what I think of Ty Chandler. I think it was in the seventh round. Yeah, their last pick at 241. I had a six round grade on him. Um but I like him. He's a Tennessee transfer. He will be 24 when that's when the he, issue with him. Yeah, the age. and you know if, that if it, if you're only going to run him into the ground for four years, that's fine. Right. But if you're thinking <laughs> about longer than that, that's not, you can cross the bridge when you get to it. But yeah, um, I liked him. I'm trying to think. Let's see. Runs hard. His whole purpose. Uh, short area quickness is is great. Open field burst to beat DB um, to the end zone. Yeah. What game? This is the Miami game. Yeah. Poor old Bubba Bolden. I don't know what happened to him, but um, yeah, asset in the in the quick screen has good hands. I'm with you. And, and uh, the four three eight was a surprise for sure. Does he play that fast? No. <laughs> I mean, how many running backs play a four three eight? Maybe CJ two K, but it's better than that than a than a four eight eight for sure. So I'm with you on Ty Chandler. I thought you were going to say Rashad White out of uh, Arizona State. Well, I love, we love him too. Rashad White's probably <laughs> our other. We have three big sleepers we want for the Giants. Either uh, Chandler or Chandler's for me. That's just mine. But me and Nick are probably settling in the same boat on White and also on um. Z- or, I'm sorry, Zamir White and uh, and obviously Rashad White. Oh, nice. Yeah, those are both. It's funny. I my comp for Rashad White, and I told him this, and he didn't want to hear it. Uh, very politely, didn't want to hear it. I said, "Dude, you're basically Cordero Patterson." I was like, that to me feels like you're you're an athlete. Yeah, you happens to play running back. Yeah. You get in space. He spends a lot of time on the ground. He needs to work on that. But the, he's he's not really a running back right now. He's just sort of an athlete. He's sort of the Devin Hester yeah. of the offense. Um, but yeah, I think the upside is is through the roof. I don't think he ran that well. I can't remember. Let's see. I think he ran okay. It was like a four four eight. Oh, that is that's okay for sure. Two fourteen, not bad. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's much better than I thought. Yeah, that that'll work. Anything else on your other? Uh, Dave, we know we know you're. Uh, we want to keep be cognizant of your time, Ryan. So I don't want to keep you too long. So I wanted to get if you had any other thoughts on the rest of your day three picks for the Giants. Bo Melton, the wide receiver out of Rutgers, who both me and Nick like at 147. Andrew Stuber, who if he's there at 173, I like that developmental pick. And then obviously you already spoke on Demarco Jackson. Yeah, Bo Melton is a burner. He's slightly undersized, so it's one of those things where. Um, he'll run by guys occasionally, but you're going up against NFL defensive backs. They're going to be able to, to push you off the ball consistently. So that's something you're going to have to work through. But I think the upside is there. And Stuber, I actually liked a lot higher than this. And as you, you know, you guys know this, you go through the process and you hear all the, the echo chamber that is draft Twitter. You can somehow sometimes reevaluate what you think you like. I like Stuber a lot better than this. If he went early in, in day three, I would be all over that. And he's a tackle, but he can kick inside the guards. He offers that versatility. And again, I talked about the top. So the the Giants ended up taking two offensive linemen. Great. That's the that's the point. There's nothing wrong with that, especially if they're guys that can contribute. Evan Neal contributes right away. Andrew Stuber has a chance to play, um, depending on, on where his position ends up being. But being, if nothing else, um, game day flexible or or uh, quality depth as he grows into that role. Yeah, Stuber's somebody that I I watched. I think the Georgia tape and. 
And I, I can't remember the other game that I saw of him, but I did come away being like, okay, this is somebody who is somewhat enticing. I think the Georgia tape was a little bit rough, rougher than the other game that I watched. But I saw him down at the Senior Bowl, and I felt like he was somebody who caught my eye. But, uh, Ryan, I also want to ask you just a general draft question. Is there a player that you're higher than kind of consensus? I know we just talked about the echo chamber of draft Twitter. Are there a couple players that you feel like you are a lot higher than than everybody else? I like Bernard Raymond a lot, and um, I know he's old too. He's 24, but I, I like him. I like him as a, as a late first rounder. I like him because he's only been playing the position two years. He was a tight end before that. Before that, he wasn't even playing football. He's only been playing football um, for a few years. He's from Austria originally. And I was talking to Scott's about this at the senior bowl, like the, the progress he made, not just from 2020 to 2021, but over the course of 21 season, it was clear that he was starting to get it. And, and I think that athleticism And it's funny, Dan, you're talking about Trevor Penning. I don't love Trevor Penning as much as other folks in the, in the, in the media do. I've had teams tell me he's probably going to go middle first round, maybe higher, but for the same reasons that I, I like the Ohio state tape, but, he was playing against FCS guys and it, and it was, it was hard to even tell whether he was good or not. He got to the senior bowl and he was, he was good. He wasn't great. He didn't stand out a, right. as a standout. And it's funny. Cause I asked him, I said, the coaches actually have to tell you to quit body slamming guys like during the, the team drills. And he said, they told me all the time, but he, he, to his credit, he said, look, I'm trying to make the point that I wanted every team to regret not recruiting me for, for FBS. And I said, I get it. I understand that. And I think that's his mindset going into this process. But I like I like Bernard Raymond a little better than, than most media folks. I, I think teams are mixed on him. I know teams like his his um his right tackle, Luke Gedeke, a lot as well. I think Gedeke's gonna end up going on in the second round. And he's a he's a good player. Um another guy that I like a lot, let me see. I like Christian Harris. Like I, I know some teams have Christian Harris as their linebacker too, which is sort of surprising. And I think you you sort of get accustomed to, to Alabama players being great and, and you don't necessarily you're, you're, you expect them to be good, and you move on to, to other things. And the other things, the shiny object last year was, of course, George and all those linebackers. We talk about Chad Muma and Troy Anderson and all those guys. I think Christian Harris is a, is a really solid player that could end up going early on, uh, on on day two and perhaps surprise some people. Like I had him going 64 in my latest mock draft, but the previous – I went back and looked. The previous um, multi-round mock drafts, I've had him going anywhere from like 52 to 44. And that feels closer to probably where he ends up going. We're just not talking a lot about him. One of those out of sight, out of mind players. Um, and let me see. Let's see if there's a, a wide receiver that I love. I love Danny Gray at SMU. I don't know if you Ooh, guys yeah. had a chance to see him. Yep. He's a burner. And uh, I love that about him. Um, he's undersized, but I think he's a burner on deep balls. He's also, you throw him a slant, he's going to take it to the house. Uh, and you may not touch him. And, and that's something that I, I can get behind. I don't know folks are high or low on him. I think if he sneaks into the third round, that'd be interesting. Maybe he goes more likely top around four. Um, and before you ask, I'll tell you the guy that I'm not that high on, and I don't like to, to, to dump on players, but in terms of, I think he's a good player, but I don't think he's as um, good as some of the, the Twitter buzz. Like, I don't love Alec Pierce. Um, I like Alec Pierce. I don't love him. Like, I would not take him in the second round. I probably, I might take him in the third round if I really wanted a wide receiver. Four four one the at the combine the thirty nine inch vertical or forty one inch vertical whatever it was and I'll say this man like Brian Cook the safety who I like a lot of Cincy and, and Sauce Gardner both told me we are not surprised by those testing numbers he shows like that in practice all the time didn't play that fast for me wasn't that athletic uh, in terms of the the routes he was running um, I thought he was good I thought he was a good possession receiver but I, I didn't love him as as a second round pick for example um, but hey we'll we'll find we'll find out exactly how much teams love him. Once this thing actually happens. And I want to give you credit for last year, Ryan, where you nailed Mac Jones before a lot <laughs> of people. I just want to, you're laughing it off, but look, you went to bat for Mac when everybody was crapping on it. Everybody's making fun of the top five, top 10, top 15 buzz. And at least from the early going, it seems like you were right on that. I want to at least give you a chance and I don't want to put you on the spot in a class of this ugly, but do you have any quarterback like that from this class? Oh, not like Mac Jones. And the other thing like that's funny you mentioned that is that everyone gets got mad about the Mac Jones stuff on, on social media. The teams I talked to, like they all four or five teams, they would all they all said Mac Jones is probably the number two quarterback in this class. And that just gives you some indication of the disconnect between media and yeah and teams this time of year. And also, like if you're a fan, why would you want everything to be exactly the same? I think you'd want some some variation, if nothing, for no other reason than to mix things up. 
So I didn't care. Like, I didn't care that people yelled at me because it wasn't like me going on a limb just making things up. People were telling me that they like Mac Jones and I actually like Mac Jones and it, it confirmed it. If I had loved Mac Jones in January and I had teams tell me that he's going to be a fifth-round pick, I would have come off it, but they didn't. So that that was sort of, uh, you know, whatever happens going forward, it doesn't matter. I got Mac Jones right in year one. <laughs> As exactly. for the quarterbacks in this class, like, I've been on Matt Corral since the fall, and I, I'm still a Matt Corral guy. That said, they're all bunched together. Like, Matt Corral for me is a late first-round pick and the rest are second-round picks. I actually think Des Ritter's a third round pick um, only because of the accuracy issues. And I have to be careful because I like Des Ritter, the person. I think he's a fantastic leader. He's played a ton of football and he's helped turn around that program. He's athletic. He can get on the edge and make plays. He does a lot of things you want these quarterbacks to do, but some of the throws he makes, it's hard to, to sort of wrap your brain around why he did what he did. And, and then on easy throws, we're not talking about difficult throws and then try to project that to the next level. But I want to be careful and not just say he's going to be a terrible football player because I don't think he will be because you know, you fall into the Josh Allen trap. I'm also not going to fault teams for taking quarterbacks in the first round primarily. Like I don't think Daniel Jones should have gone that high. I don't think Kenny Pickett should go six or Malik Willis, whoever, no one should go six and to the Panthers because the, the lack of infrastructure. But in general, I'm fine with teams gambling on quarterbacks because sometimes, yeah, you may get Mr. Bisky, but sometimes you may get Josh Allen, and if you don't draft one, you're not going to get either. So uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity, uh, you know, taking the risk. So I have Macaron one. I have Sam Howell two, which is also sort of uh, a curveball for most media folks. The Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech game at the beginning of the year was disastrous. It was almost hard to watch. He, he was he was bad. The offensive line was terrible. Uh, he had he was without the two running backs and two wide receivers who are in the NFL now, and it took him a while to sort of figure that out. But I went back and watched three or four more games, and he he drugged that team to either victories or, or close to to wins, and he did a lot of it by himself. Are there things to clean up? Absolutely, but I, I like him as a, especially as a a second round guy. If a team trades up for him in the second round, I love it. Um, disregard the conversation earlier I had where if you draft a guy outside the first round, you're basically wasting. The pick. <laughs> um, so. Third is Malik Willis. I, I I think he has a chance to be good. He also could be really bad. There's just a lot of variation on where he may land, but I, I love the upside, and if you take him in the first round, more power to you. I think that's that's a risk worth taking. Four is Kenny Pickett. Like I'm not I'm not high on Kenny Pickett. He's 24. Yeah. Um, he did he wasn't as consistent as I want him to be. I know a lot of teams, not a lot of teams. I know some teams that have him in the second round picks, and I know that other teams think he's the best of the bunch and will go in the first round. And I think that's right. And then Des Ritter is he probably Des Ritter may go in round one. I don't know. Um, I've had teams tell me that second or third on him. And then I've had other teams talk about all the, the positives and how you can spin that into a first round, first round grade. So I, I think the over under on quarterbacks in the first round is three. Like, I don't even want to go a half. Cause I think it's going to be three. I might even like the under there, but five feels incredibly rich. Like five quarterbacks and seven wide receivers would be absolutely bonkers. Um, I think both go under, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I would love it for the Giants, personally, if five quarterbacks went in the first round. More <laughs> yeah, count. that's right. Slide to 36. Ron, I actually want to ask you a question. This pertains to Daniel Jones. If Daniel Jones was in this class, where would you have him ranked amongst these other quarterbacks? That's a great question. So I've been saying for a time for a while that Davis Mills would be the quarterback one in this draft class if he had returned to school um, and his season went as it did last year, maybe a little better. Um, I think Daniel Jones is probably – Daniel Jones is probably quarterback one without Davis Mills in this class just because he he played a lot. He's better than than Kenny Pickett coming out. He has more sustained success over the course of his college career than Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett was not good in 2020. He was going to be a day three guy, best case. That's why he returned to school. Um, he's bigger than Kenny. He's faster than Kenny. He has bigger hands than Kenny, if that's one of the things you're concerned about. Um, so I, I think in that sense that he, he – does, does he have the upside of, of Malik? Probably not, but he's a good athlete. I mean, we, we've seen his athleticism on display. The issue, of course, is the turnovers. The turnovers were an issue in college. They're still an issue now. But Kenny Pickett has a turnover history as well. So, you know, you just got to do the math. I, I think it would be – I would get the slight edge to Daniel Jones. I don't know if it's a, a runaway obvious choice. But, again, he's sort of in the conversation of late round one, early round two guy. But um, knowing what I know, I, I would – I actually asked one of our um, – well, asked this on the podcast that I just did for work. Daniel Jones or, or Kenny Pickett, and one person said Kenny Pickett. I think I would take Daniel Jones. In fact, I know I would. I wouldn't. I no no ifs ands buts about it. Well, there it is. You heard it from Ryan Wilson. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today to talk a little NFL draft, talk a little prospects. I'm excited for next Thursday. I know it's a busy time for you, for me too, for all of us. But yeah. it's fun. It's fun. The busyness is still fun. So thanks again to everybody tuning into the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.